Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. An exciting Friday afternoon edition. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you on this fine afternoon? I'm I'm pretty good, Dave. I'm just watching that 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 sleeping giant. I mean he he opened his eyes, now he's kind of sitting up, I'm thinking. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like watching a ticker, you know, just watching because it's just coming in so rapidly right now. You know, UCLA, just good news after good news. It was kind of fun because I had a pretty good idea they were going to get both of them. But, you know, you don't want to steal a kid's thunder and stuff. So just all the machinations going on on the forum, uh, just the BBS, the we'll be OK if we don't get in either of these guys. It's, was, it's amazing to watch how often, how, how quickly um, people pre-bargain, you know? They're like, yes. you haven't even gotten to the stage where you should be grieving yet, but you're just bargaining already, which God, is cool. If you do this for me, I'll do it. Yeah, no, it's very, it's it's really cool how UCLA um, uh, Athletics has uh, made everyone just kind of, kind of traumatized the last, uh, I don't know, 25 years. What there's got to be a term for like group traumatization. Yeah, there I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. PTSD. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But um, anyway, the the news we're referring to obviously is uh, UCLA picking up a huge transfer commitment, uh, literally and figuratively, <laughs> in uh, in Miles Johnson, uh, the center from Rutgers, and then also picking up 2022 point guard, five star on two four seven composite four star uh, Dylan Andrews. Uh, out of Windward um, as uh, another key piece of that 2022 class that already has Amari Bailey. Uh, two huge commitments came in within about, I don't know, what was it, five minutes of each other, ten minutes of each other this well, afternoon? A couple of minutes. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, so obviously hugely exciting and coming on the heels of um, that amazing run to the Final Four clearly can be read, I think, as capitalizing on that performance, but I think can also be read as uh, – Strong indication of the work uh, McCronin and staff have done in recruiting since uh, since arriving in Westwood. Yeah, it was not all just glitter. I I could say from what I knew, and I didn't necessarily want to give away. I kind of hinted at it enough. Um, I thought UCLA uh, when Miles Johnson went into the transfer portal. Um, I think UCLA was only in the uh, round of thirty-two by that at that point. I can't remember. Or, yeah. It, heading into the second weekend, I think, because Rutgers second was eliminated weekend. in the round of 32. Exactly. Pretty strong lean at that point. Um, uh, you, you know, the pro, UCLA program had a lot going for it for Miles Johnson, mostly that it's it's just close to home. He gets to play in front of his family. He grew up, you know, you grew up in Los Angeles. You're, especially someone his age, you grew up, you know, through the Final Fours when, um, yeah. You grow up with it. So they had that advantage. I'd say UCLA was probably in the driver's seat, probably for Dylan Andrews, even up, even before the tournament. Uh, I, I would say that that hammered it home completely. Uh, some other new developments happening probably with uh, maybe UCLA thinking about KJ Simpson uh, also, the final uh, UCLA going to the final four. Dylan Andrews saying, "I better jump on this now <laughs> before another 2022 20, 20, point guard decides he wants to go there." As soon as coaches get out in uh, July, so but I, I, they were doing well with both. So it's not just the little buzz from the tournament; it absolutely helped. But you got to give Cronin credit for having built the program and. And those two recruiting situations, even without the Final Four. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, to be in the position to capitalize on it, that's always going to be a credit to the work that's done beforehand. Because um, yeah, it wouldn't happen this quickly unless they had done quite a bit um, to lay groundwork. Um, I'm speaking mostly of Andrews there. Um, yeah. But uh, we, so we should probably get into what these guys, um, particularly Johnson, just because it'll be next year, um, what they're going to do when they're on campus. Um, let's break it down, Dave. Let's break it on down. Bring it on down to break it down. Uh, Miles Johnson, um, I think, 
you could make a very strong case is just the single missing piece um, from the team this year uh, after Jalen Hill um, uh, departed and uh, in that tournament run. And if you're looking ahead at next year, um, obviously you could squint and decide you want a backup point guard, but clearly the big missing piece in that uh, main rotation was somebody who can protect the rim, defend inside, um, and just provide that big bodied presence on the defensive end, um, at the five, you know, Cody Riley kind of provides it offensively, but Miles Johnson gives you somebody who's going to reliably stuff some dunks and re- reliably block some shots on the other end. Um, and that's something they really didn't have, uh, before. Yeah. You know, uh, just, just to say Cody Riley's a dip, a, a decent defensive post. He plays decent defense in the post. He's not a shot blocker or a rim protector. So just to give Cody a little bit of credit there. Yeah, yeah, totally fine and totally fair. Um, And I wouldn't even necessarily say that, um, uh, you know, I mean, not getting into like decisions about all that stuff yet. I don't even know if Miles is going to, I don't, I don't know if he would start next year. Um, I think there'll be more or less split minutes along the, Hill Riley lines, but I think Cody developed quite a bit as a defender this year. Um, and honestly, watching them both, I don't know. Cody might be better. Um, I mean, I don't think either of them is going to be any great shakes switching onto the perimeter, but Cody might be slightly better at it. Um, so th- there's going to be situations where you're going to want Cody in there, even potentially a little bit defensively. Uh, sure. But Johnson gives you a ton of rim protection. And then offensively, I mean, he can elevate and he can dunk and he can finish and he's got pretty good hands. Um, so that's, I, I don't think he's going to be a zero on that end. And I thought your commitment analysis was really good. Kind of talking about his potential on that end. Yeah. Um, uh, of course it's all about matchups. What this does is you, Cody Riley is, has proven out to be a good college post player but there are some matchups where he might not give you, give you the optimal chance against some other players that he'd match up against. Getting a guy like Miles Johnson just about covers all bases, pretty much, on any post players they're going to they're gonna come up against. It, maybe you'd want someone with a little bit better feet, you know, in the switching defense. But, okay, we're being really, really highly picky. But uh, So that provides Cronin the ability to play his type of defense of what he wants. And that what's required is that there's a presence in the paint um, that is blocking shots, altering shots, and rebounding. That is so critical to his, to his defense. Um, so that, that is just... Uh, it's When everyone was getting into the conversation about what they would rather have, a backup point guard... Or, or like a Miles Johnson type to provide that role. I, I mean, I don't want to say that they were all wrong because that's not right. This is just my opinion. But uh, I, I don't really understand it. I, I, twenty when you can play twenty to twenty-seven minutes and it really provides the role of what Mick Cronin wants compared to a backup point guard, and even if if it's a freshman point guard or it transfer uh, he's not going to walk in probably with as much experience as miles johnson and then if you watch if you watch rutgers uh he doesn't get a lot of pure touches in the post he he gets the he's really good on a pick and roll he's he's got a great feel he's a great screener because he's so damn big but he's got a good feel for that you know of not fouling um off of screens but he's very good at finishing off the pick and roll, but there are times when he's touched the ball and he's got decent post moves. Um, he just didn't touch the ball that much, which is kind of the growing trend in, in all of basketball to, you know, score in the post. And most offenses aren't designed to get post players touches. Mick Cronin's is, and you have an assistant coach in Darren Savino, who's very good at developing post offensive moves. We've seen it obviously, um, in the guys he's had just for what two years, so I think we we can maybe expect a little bit more out of Johnson offensively once he gets in. He gets some work done with Savino. He gets more touches from the offense. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a 
you know, 10 points. He averaged, what, eight points a game. He might get over 10. I, I could see him in double figures. So his, his honestly, his by far the, the biggest, I don't want to say flaw, but I'll say flaw, is his free throw shooting, which was abysmal. And he's a guy who would be able to draw fouls. He's got to get that up to just something respectable. I mean, for a post player day, what, 65% would be I mean, uh, pretty he's, acceptable? He's at 43% right now, so I will take that literally, literally yeah. any improvement. Because um, yeah. that makes him unplayable at the end of games. Um, yes. And so yep. he has to get that up. Uh, so that's probably a priority um, for him this offseason. Um, but it's a tough thing to harp on just because uh, once you get down to that low, it starts to be a mental thing more than anything. Um, but looking at his statistical profile, I think what you're, if you're, you know, thinking about what he brings to the table, um, elite finisher around the rim. Like he is going to dunk the ball a lot. Um, and from a rebounding perspective, he's probably. He's right there with Jalen Hill statistically as a rebounder, um, which would have made him the best rebounder on the team this year. Um, per minute, Jalen Clark is maybe a little bit better, but uh, he's going to be a very, very, very good rebounder. And uh, even including Jalen Hill, he would have been the best shot blocker on the team this year. Um, Easily. Yes. So he's, you're really truly getting an elite defensive player, um, very close to an elite rebounder. And a very, very, very good finisher around the rim. Um, he's going to get some putbacks. He's going to get some tip slams. Like that sort of stuff is going to happen with him. Um, and I wouldn't even say he's like a super explosive athlete. He's just he's just pretty good around the rim. Um, yeah. And uh, he, he gets position, jumps well enough. And uh, he's got that incredible length that lets him kind of grab stuff and just throw it down. And, and then the other, the other big thing here, and it's kind of an intangible... When UCLA is going to go out and shop for a guy to plug into the team that went to the Final Four to try to get them back to the Final Four, there are a lot of guys who physically and athletically might fit your profile, right? Um, but a lot of guys who are in that transfer portal and you know, and speaking with some coaches and AU guys who are hearing it all, you wouldn't believe some of the things that... The, well, this transfer wants to go to a place where he's going to get 30 minutes. He's going to have the ball in his hands. His people, his handlers are telling coaching staffs this and this and this. I mean, damn, there are some chemistry busters out there. Many, many of them. <laughs> um, I keep trying to emphasize that to uh, our readers, but I can't like break down every single guy, every single transfer out there and tell them why they might not be a good fit. I don't know if you could come up with a better fit <laughs> if, when it comes when it comes to a player who's going to buy in from a whole chemistry toughness mentality than than Miles Johnson. Yeah, because right? he knows he's coming into a situation where there is a guy who just started at the five who's coming back, and yeah. he's still coming. Um, yeah, I, I think that speaks to it right there, and. You know, I think it's a testament to um, this is another one where it's a slight digression, but like just Cronin's program in general. Think about the roster that um, there hasn't been a single announcement of a transfer or anyone even uh, announcing that they are testing the waters uh, for the NBA draft. How long would it have taken for like three of these dudes if this <laughs> had been a Howland team or an Alford team or an Alford team? Yeah, I, I, that kind of we used to talk about this a lot. Why is it that UCLA players want to go pro when they're not ready more often than other schools? Well, and I think, honestly, like, I think we are, because of our history of having watched that now for basically the last uh, two coaches, at least, I wasn't that into the Lavin era, so maybe you can speak to it a little bit more, but the last two coaches, at least, it seemed like every time even a guy had a sniff of an opportunity to leave, he did. And yeah. so we just build it into our calculations that, okay, well, anybody who has a sniff of an opportunity is going to leave. And so far, I mean, it's a limited data set, but Chris Smith had a sniff of an opportunity to leave. And I have no doubt that if it had been a Ben Howland team uh, where it was just a chore to play for him or a Steve Alford team, he might have gone. Uh, but he didn't last year. Um, yeah. And that's not even saying he was a first-round pick or a second-round pick. A lot of guys left to go undrafted. 
Chris Wilkes and Jalen Hands both did. Um, or I don't know, was Wilkes drafted? I can't even remember. Jalen yes. Hands definitely did. Um, yes. So it's just I I, uh, I I don't know. It's it's interesting thinking about the chemistry of this team where I think it's it's almost evident at this point that a lot of these guys just want to continue playing together. Um, and as of as of right now, I, I mean, I've been trying to run down the stat. People have been talking about it on our our forum. UCLA is only one of four. Uh, I think tournament teams that have that has not had a player put his name in the one board. of three power six teams that has um, not had a team that has not okay. had a player put into the uh, transfer portal. I think I, I think someone added Villanova, but we're not going to count them. No, fuck. Them. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. UCLA, Michigan, Alabama, and we're not counting Villanova. I guess so. Very yes. Cool. No matter what, three or four. It's and and it, it might not stay this way, but to this point, it 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 is a testament that obviously they all want to be there right now. So, I I mean, we're in a this is a really good situation going into next season. It's a very um, okay. weird thing to think about that team. Like, it's a very weird thing to think about the the team. That, like, I would have said a couple of weeks ago, oh, there's no chance they're going to return everybody. And I still think, like, end of the day, something shakes out. But if you think about that entire roster coming back, it's a, it's actually, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of um, nerve-wracking to think about it. Like, how do you distribute the minutes correctly? Because it really comes down to optimization at that point, Right. Because you've got yeah. so many guys who fit in so many different ways. And like when I'm thinking about just the, the what I would project as the second unit, like the five guys immediately off the bench, that team probably finishes third in the Pac-12, maybe second. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just – it's a weird thing to shift from where a lot of people, I think, were thinking about this roster in February, in the beginning of February – compared to what it's going to look like entering the season next year. Um, yeah. Just, it, it feels like just a complete world shift. Um, and it's, I mean, it's definitely a better position to be in, but it is, it's kind of nerve wracking to think about. It especially is nerve wracking if you include Chris Smith in the scenario. That's what that's, I'm saying. That's what I'm yeah, saying. That's it's, when it gets really, really kind of, when you talk to coaches about it, they say they, they're just giddy over those problems. I, I, because they're greedy, right? They, they just want as much, they want to stockpile as much talent as they can get. And I think they downplay a little bit of, of how it all fits together a bit. Um, and I, if we, if we saw anything from this year, it was two things. It was playing hard toughness and how chemistry works between players uh, I, I mean, that was those thing, those things were critical in them getting to the final four. So there's one other thing I want to talk about with Miles Johnson, too. Uh, a, a few more things. Um, first off, people have brought up the issue of how much time he'll be able to give to basketball. And I think that's a valid concern. Uh, the Rutgers coach, I think, at one point said that he had to change their practice schedule to meet miles johnson's academic load (laughs) to work around it it that could that could be a little bit of an issue uh i think we have to consider that we'll we'll see how that works out um but if you wanted uh, the recruiting thing a story i just wrote and i've written a couple of posts about how it's really easy to get wings wings are a dime a dozen especially with every six nine guy thinking he's a wing now um Point guards and posts are hard to get, especially posts, because like I said, six, nine guys who are really posts think they're wings. So to get a, to get a post player who knows he's a post and he's, and he's going to play post in college uh, on his college team is getting more and more and more rare. Um, not only is Miles Johnson coming in for next year, but he's got two years of eligibility left because the NCAA granted an extra year of eligibility to everyone because of the pandemic. He's going to be here for two years. He is a great bridge. Uh, just if you're UCLA and you're recruiting and you thought, let's say you brought in a grad 
uh, a grad senior and he was leaving after one year as a post player, you ha it's critical that you go out and find another post player for the 2022 season. It's not so critical now. They, they've got the luxury because right now their 2022-2023 roster has Miles Johnson, Mac Etienne, and Ken Nawuba on it. Comparatively, so there's a there's a lot of things if you just keep thinking about them that you can laundry list about why he was an ideal fit here. Yeah, it's a perfect bridge player, um, and it gives Mac Etienne, uh basically his true freshman year back, yeah. um, yes. where he can just be a freshman, you know, not have to sit there trying to play 15 minutes when he maybe still isn't physically ready. Um, you know, give him some time. He'll still get minutes because. Uh, if you watch any game, you know the top two post players. How often is it foul trouble or something, and then the guy has to play ten minutes a game? Um, but it'll be a situation like it was this year, where he's playing in fits and bursts, but doesn't have to. And hopefully, he plays better in those fits and bursts and actually competes for some more minutes. Um, but he, there's no pressure on him um, to suddenly be a big time performer. Um, so that's an ideal situation. Uh, no, I mean it solves. What was, I mean, it's what we said up top. It solves the big missing piece and not just for this year, but for the next year too, um, in terms of getting that post position figured out in a situation where Cody Riley's gone, Jalen Hill's also gone. Um, that was, that was kind of the immediate reload that UCLA needed and they landed it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, given now that we've presented all the parameters just from a fit issue, chemistry issue, uh, two years of eligibility type of player. It, I don't think you would, uh, you can go down the list of, of post players that were in the transfer portal. But if we really broke that all down and we knew all of the, the fit elements of every player, I, there was not, there was not a guy who was, who who was the better puzzle piece to UCLA's puzzle than Miles Johnson? No, so, I would say I mean the academic fit. Um, it it's both good and potentially a little bit of a worry, like what you were saying about school schedule and all that kind of stuff. But I think it also makes it so that he's not going to demand that he has to play thirty two minutes a game um, because you know he's got engineering too, um, and he's and he's not caring about getting to the NBA. Right. I think he'd love to, but it's not right. like it's the, you know, end all and be all for him. Um, so I think there's a lot of value in that. You're basically getting the equivalent of, you know, your classic four year guy and you're getting him for two year guy for, for two years. But, um, you know, it's it's a developmental uh, uh, type of player. Um, so, yeah, Miles Johnson for next year, a big, huge missing piece in uh, making that team. Um, you know, because UCLA was getting a ton of hype right after the Final Four as being a top two, top three team next year, which I was getting, you know, a little leery of because the national narrative tends to um, sometimes overhype UCLA when they show even a little bit of life. Uh, Miles Johnson, I think that makes that suddenly legitimate. Um, yeah. That addition makes it so that you do look at this roster and say there isn't really a huge hole um, and it does go very deep. Um, they can survive even maybe an unfortunate departure or even two this offseason and still be in pretty good, pretty good shape heading into next year. Um, and it makes them by far the favorite in the Pac-12. Um, yeah. We don't know how the rosters are going to shake out at Oregon, at Arizona, et cetera. But it's hard to imagine any of them reloading to the extent that UCLA uh, appears to have. Right. So let's talk a little bit about Dylan Andrews, even though he's not coming to UCLA until 2022. Um, still a really significant commitment. Um, five, he, um, if you all have noticed, he's a five-star in 24-7 sports' rankings. Uh, I think he's ranked 21st in the country. Uh, we can talk a lot about his game, too. Um, significant also coming from an L.A. high school, Compton Magic, which is probably uh, – not probably the, – the number one AU team on the West Coast – probably one of the handful of three or four uh, most prominent in the country. 
I'd say, and they're not Nike, which is phenomenal. Um, so to get, and I, I can tell you, the, the guys at Compton Magic were ecstatic that he's going to UCLA. That was generally the feeling coming out of all of this, as it looked like Dylan Andrews was going to uh, commit to UCLA. They were ecstatic about it. So that's all amazing stuff. Dylan Andrews himself, first from a fit issue, uh, for being the number 21 ranked player in the country, for being a five-star, he is similar to Peyton Watson for being a guy who's very grounded. Uh, everything I've heard about him is he, he's a great kid. He, he responds to challenges. He's a, he's a good student. Um, so his mental makeup is the type like Peyton Watson, Amari Bailey, um, that I personally think is hard to find these days. Five-star guys who don't think they're just one and dones and have a lot of people in the ear and handlers telling them, you know, uh, you need to start, you need to play 30 minutes, you need the ball in your hand. Um, they're unusual. Uh, especially those in LA, and I'm, I'm contradicting myself because I'm saying there are three that UCLA have found in LA. I don't, I don't necessarily think we should get used to this. I think it's a little unusual, but Dylan Andrews is that guy. Um, on the court, 6'3-ish, um, he's gotten bigger physically in the last year during COVID, um, uh, stronger, uh, more muscular. He's not an incredible athlete. Um, a decent athlete. Um, he on offense, uh, I've used the word crafty. And if you watch him, he can, he's very crafty. He can get, he can take people off the dribble. Not necessarily. He's not slow by any means, but he's also strong. So he can take people off the dribble with his size and a decent burst. He gets, uh, into that mid range. He's, he's pretty good. He's got a nice outside shot. Um, he's a good passer. He's not like Lonzo Ball, but he does see the court really well. His handle is a little high. He's going to have to get stronger and better at that. Uh, a very much uh, a selfless player. Um, when the team needs scoring, he'll score. When the team needs passes, he'll pass. Uh, he's, you can tell he's a very good teammate. He likes to play defense. Um, he could struggle a little with smaller, quicker point guards. Uh, he does use his length effectively, but you know, you, I've got to see him up against, you know, elite high major, smaller, quicker point guards to see how he matches up. Um, but I still like him on, he plays hard on defense, good in passing lanes, good at getting turnovers, good instincts uh, all around, uh, uh, just, you know, UCLA struggled to get point guards. It has in the last several years. To be able to get him in his junior year, which currently it is right now with the delayed basketball season, um, and have him nailed down is really phenomenal. And here's the other thing. like I don't think he's a one-and-done. I don't think he's an early NBA guy. I think he's a three- or four-year player, even though he's a five-star. So... Again, <laughs> pretty much an ideal situation. I'm very wary at elite, elite point guards. Because if you're an elite point guard and you're a one-and-done guy, you're going to come in, you're going to start, you're going to dominate the ball, you're going to take up a lot of playing time. No one is going to want to go to that school the next year even because you just went there. So you're keeping point guard recruiting down and then you leave after a year. At point guard is where you need continuity in a program and that's the opposite of it. And while you might be living off that one year of that one and done point guard, I, I think there's a lot of downside to that. I, I think – UCLA needs continuity at the point guard spot. And Dylan Andrews is that guy. He's a three- or four-year guy who will be a very effective player at that position for that amount. I'd be shocked if he's like even a two-and-out kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't strike me as such. Um, 
watching any of his stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that position more than literally any other on the court, you need continuity from year to year. Um, yeah. And they're going to have it for with Tiger Campbell for a minimum of three years. Um, and then say Tiger leaves after next year or even sticks around. Um, you're then going to have it potentially with Dylan Andrews for another three or four after that. And that's how you build the sustainable program because that position, it, because of everything Tracy just said, you're, you're, that's they me. just impact so damn much um, that if you can get that to be stable for two or three years, it flows to everything else. And then you can deal with whatever changeover happens on the wings or whatever, as long as that position is stable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, otherwise you're looking at what uh, Memphis was doing under Calipari or what Kentucky started to do under Calipari, which is either you're hitting on that point guard every year, like it's a five-star and he's actually really good every year, or you're busting. Um, and if you're busting, then you're trying to make something happen with a team full of wings and somebody who can't actually create. And, uh, and Kentucky can pull that off because they can literally go to five-star point guards every year and say – yeah, the guy the guy we just got coming in, he's one and done. He's gone. So you're next. But they UCLA, can't but they UCLA can't tell kids that. Yeah. They don't have that precedent to be able to say, Oh, he's one and done and he's leaving, unless it's Lonzo Ball. But the but, point is it's not even sustainable for Kentucky. Uh because yeah. they can go recruit those guys, but the boom bust rate is now overwhelming even Calipari. Um, the one right. and done model where you just get a team of freshmen and see if you can make it work has proven to be somewhat successful, but largely a bust. And for coaches who are generally pretty conservative guys who want to just coach for a long time, that can't be a good model to follow. Um, for for UCLA under Mick Cronin, uh, the model has to be the Michigan State, the North Carolina, the Villanova, which is yeah. all about sustainable recruiting. Yes, you want your one and dones. You do. You want those guys who can elevate the program. But you want to sprinkle them. You do not want to take them in key roles every single year and just hope that chemistry works out. That is not – it's proven now that it's not sustainable. Duke is not sustainable. Kentucky is not sustainable. You need to have um, real program continuity uh, for and, years on end. And I'm telling you that um, – of course, Cronin and his staff are going to have challenges to win at a high level and sustain it. But one of their biggest challenges, and this is this is the kryptonite. I've seen it happen with so many coaches. When they can get a team full of five stars, they will. <laughs> if they can get a team full of one and duns, they will. They won't say they keep. We got to take him. We got to take him. We can't turn him down. Despite what that could do to the continuity of your program, the chemistry on your team, that's the thing. It's shiny objects that coaches just cannot resist. That's going to be one thing. I, I mean, if this is one of their concerns, obviously UCLA is doing pretty well in basketball. But that is going to be one of their concerns, I think, is being able to balance your roster and balance your recruiting classes. Like, I mean, right now, 2022, Amari Bailey is the fourth ranked player in the 2022 class. And that's legit because he is, he's an elite combo guard. He's not labeled combo guard because he's not a shooting guard and he's not a point guard. He's labeled a combo guard because he's an NBA lead guard yeah. <laughs> that can score like a college shooting guard. So he can do both of those roles. Just having him and Dylan Andrews in your backcourt who you will be able to play together, the playmaking ability, which we've seen now in college basketball that we're coming around to realizing having two lead guards, two point guards on the floor at the same time is really advantageous. <laughs> um, but you've got Amari Bailey, five-star. You've got Dylan Andrews who is a five-star. I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but like I wrote, they're leading for Mark Mitchell, um, another five-star guy. Um, and it's all great. Obviously, I want them to get five-star guys. It's good for business, right? But there has to be some there has to be some balance in there too. And that's one reason why I think Dylan Andrews is 
so advantageous because he's not a one and done. Um, Mark Mitchell is a potential one and done, and so is Amari Bailey. So I just to get that continuity of point guard with Dylan Andrews, that's just that's just a great situation. And of course, Dave, I know everyone wants to talk about now UCLA's scholarship limit is full for next season. What happens now? They have an offer out to Ty Ty Washington, uh, a point guard out of Arizona. Uh, Kansas was leading for him. I think and now Kentucky's offered. So, you know, Kentucky might be just too uh, much for him to resist. UCLA has been in this and continues to be in this. Um, but they don't have a they don't have a scholarship for him one would have to shake loose. And I can't even begin to tell you where they would get that scholarship from because Johnny Juzang, if he does leave for the NBA draft, you won't know that till conservatively late June, July, I'd say, uh, until he goes through the NBA combine, I'd think. So I know everyone is greedy and they're fantasizing about getting that other point guard. So Every single weakness on that team that we saw is filled for next season. And it absolutely could happen. There could be a player that decides to transfer and UCLA fills that scholarship with a backup point guard. Um, but at this point, I it, it might be difficult. Um, so don't quite get your hopes up too much. And then, of course, everyone's going to ask, could that be K.J. Simpson? And it very well could be. If they had a scholarship available... If K.J. Simpson, who is currently committed to Arizona, does get out of his letter of intent, um, and then if things go well, UCLA has never spoken to K.J. Simpson, and they have a few Zooms and things go well, and he plays a few more games and he looks good, that could happen too. But those are a lot of ifs. So while we're all a little greedy that we want that backup point guard for next season, I, I just look a little bit further down like the 2022 season and look at the potential – after next season with a loaded roster, the next season after that, he's got Miles Johnson as a senior, Mac Edian in the post with him, who will be a sophomore, but it'll be his third year in the program. You could have Peyton Watson. I'm still convinced he's coming back. He's playing two years. So you could have Peyton Watson. Jalen Clark in his third year, I'll just say that and leave that just as that is. Amari Bailey. <laughs> um you know, Will McClendon, and I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be good next year and Jaime Jaquez is going pro, but he could be back. Uh, that's really something, that's a lot of talent. And I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot, but I just want to say one more thing. If we're talking about improved athleticism, that is really the team to be looking at is the 2022-2023 version of the Bruins. Yeah, well, I mean they're going to be really good next year and the year after. Um, the uh, I I I would not get greedy at all, um, and I don't think they should take anyone else in this class unless somebody leaves. Um, and you won't know that until Johnny Juzang makes his decision, I guess. But then just uh, if anybody's available still at that point, but I think at this point you you want to be done because anybody you take right now, um, especially if they are that backup point guard. You have to start thinking about, okay, how does this affect guys who are here? Because you're affecting Jules Bernard. You're affecting his minutes if you take a backup point guard right now. Um, because if you look at that stacked wing depth chart, it's going to be hard for him to get minutes. Um, and he was one of the most improved players on this team this year. Um, do you want fourth-year Jules Bernard? Or do you want uh, Ty Ty Washington? So no. let me ask you this. They can't take anyone now because they don't have a scholarship. But let's say Johnny Juzang's scholarship opens up fairly soon and they have some options. Would you want them to get a backup point guard or would you want to stand pat with what they have right now? The thing is, I don't think you can, I don't think you can assume he's going. Um, and so taking anyone, you're pushing somebody out and you're putting ideas in the head of people like Jules Bernard, who I think is, if you're thinking about where his minutes are coming next year, with or without Juzang, He's going to need some backup point guards minutes because of the addition of Watson, the potential addition of Smith. Um, he's going to need some backup point guard minutes to even uh, even approximate what he was playing this year. Because uh, he was ending up, I think he was at 29 minutes per game this year. 
Yeah. Um, so if you're going to find him 22, some of those are going to have to have have to come at point guard. And if you bring in Ty Ty Washington, well, that guy's going to want to play. He's going to want to play a lot. Um, so, and the people around him want him to play a lot. Right. And so I think there's a point at which you're talking about it more as a zero-sum game than as a addition. Um, right. And it's a question of, is this an improvement over fourth-year Jules Bernard? Um, and for me, the bar for that is really, really high. Because I just watched Jules Bernard go from nearly unplayable a year ago to one of the better players on the team this year. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does next year. Well, let me ask you this then. I, I completely agree with you. Um, uh, the one uh, consideration that might go against that a little is n- you have Tiger Campbell at point guard this coming year. The next year, more than likely, he might, I mean, it's his 72nd year in the program. He might decide he's moving on. You'd like an experienced point guard rather than just freshman Dylan Andrews um would you rather have the a point guard in the program this year who can learn under Cronin learn his offense learn what it takes to run point and then be prepared for the 2022 season or look to maybe pick up a transfer to go along with Dylan Andrews or hand the ball over Dylan Andrews as a true freshman well, I think you're handing the ball over to him and Amari Bailey, right? Because okay. you're going to have Bailey also playing some lead guard, and you're going to have to count on him to probably man the point quite a bit. But even so, this is the scenario where Tiger Campbell leaves, which is by no means a guarantee, but obviously a potential thing. He's going to be after his fourth year at that point. Um, and in that situation, yeah, I mean, there might be some things to work out. I think there's. Um, for Cronin and the way the um, uh, his program, I think, is going to have to be structured in the future, y- you can't even be seen to be even remotely pushing guys out or drastically reducing their roles, especially after they have bought in considerably, um, right. especially after they have bought into the extent where that, again, Bernard went from uh, uh, pretty rough um, in Cronin's first year, especially at huge moments, um, to being the most improved player on the team. And I, honestly, in January, he might have been the best player on the team. Um, big part of keeping them afloat um, when they were struggling after Smith and after uh, Jalen Hill. Uh, I don't think you can then say to that guy, okay, we're reducing your role to 15 minutes a game um, in your potentially your final year in the program. I know he's going to have... He's going to have the extra year, too, if he wants it. Um, so I think that's 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 a critical piece for me, just from like a not even just the simple fact that I think he's going to be better in his fourth year than pretty much anybody they brought in. Uh, but on top of that, um, from a just program goodwill standpoint, from all of that stuff that goes into having not just seasonal chemistry, but having program continuity from year to year. Um, I think it's really important to um, be it's a, cognizant of that. A big point. It's a huge point. And it's hard for just fans and onlookers to understand because it's, a, you know, it's not on paper. We're not, it's not something you can really quantify that much. But uh, Jules Bernard buying in. He's the poster is, child. Is a critical element of Cronin's program um, and having those kind of players bought in are, is so critical and he needs to maintain that. And uh, Cronin's done it mostly out of his own sensibility. He came to UCLA. He didn't want to run off players, but his instinct to do that really paid off because these guys bought in, he accepted them as his players. They bought in that he's their coach. And you you can tell the impact that that makes from on a team-wide basis. As soon as you start undercutting that, I don't think you have that kind of chemistry on the team like we saw that took him to a Final Four. Yeah. So another little sneaky challenge. <laughs> yeah. No, and- he, he's got like backloaded that he's going to have to deal with. One other thing. Let's just put Tiger Campbell in in context. So he was a redshirt sophomore this year. 
this was his third year in the program, correct? Correct. Next year, let's just work it out. He, if he repeats his year, his fourth year, he could play six years at UCLA. Tracy, shirt sophomore year, <laughs> his twenty twenty two year will be his red shirt junior year. Twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four would be finally his red shirt senior year. Yeah, no, he could stay. He could stay for a very long time if he wanted to. Um, I think and, at a certain point they're going to have say, to get realistic with everybody and say, "Hey, everyone's doing their four or five years, and that's it." I think they say everyone just expect to play out your regular years. Just well, do that. Because this ended up being a regular year for most of these guys. So I don't, yeah. you know, it's just kind of one of those things where I think the schools are just going to say, hey, sorry, we're not, we're not guaranteeing your scholarship for more than the original allotment. So yeah. if Tiger wants to stay past this next year into the final year, fine. But if he, you know, <laughs> not picking on Tiger at all, but just... I think that's going to be true for everybody across the country. This ended up being more of a real year than I think a lot of people expected. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, it's, it's, I can't emphasize enough the point that you just made and how key that is to program building and specifically the success this team saw this, this year. Um, you know, when everyone throws it around like this is this is big boy basketball, you know, we go out and get the the best talent we can find. And if you don't make it, you leave. Well, that doesn't it doesn't work. <laughs> These are college kids. Um, and. They having, like each other, like all these like guys each like each they other. They want to play for each other. Yeah. So. I mean, I know it makes sense, and you think that's why Alabama wins in football. I, I get all that, you know, all business kind of thing. But if you're just saying that in this context, you're missing a, a huge element of why this team is successful and why Cronin could be successful moving forward, especially if he's going to start getting five star, one and done guys. He needs that that foundation of the three, four year guy who wanted to be, who wants to be there and wants to play for him and well, wants to play for his team. Well, and people are borrowing that phrase from football. They're saying the big boy football thing and football is an entirely it's, I mean, obviously it's a different game, but it's an entirely different game. Football is like, uh, I don't know, 15 separate sports going on at once. Like there are so many different, um, specialized roles happening and all these different things that you truly can just reload with 25 guys and fit them into different spots and nobody really cares. Um, there can be some chemistry issues, but it's not, it, it, it's nowhere in it with a flow sport. One where everyone is basically playing a similar thing. They're all playing basketball. Yeah, you've got your posts doing one thing, but then there's four guys doing much the same thing. Um, you need to be sharing. You need to be caring about each other. You need to say, oh, you know, he hasn't gotten a touch in a second. Let me give him the ball. Like all this kind of stuff has to happen. Um, and you have to have a feel for each other. You have to know where somebody's going to be at a certain time. And uh, there's, you know, caring and feeling that goes into that. Um, yeah. And it's like that with soccer too. Um, but it's just any any sport where it's a, a flow sport where everyone's basically doing the same stuff with the ball. Um, there's only one ball to go around. There's not defined, you know, it's not offensive linemen and quarterbacks and wide receivers. It's, you know, five guys who have to fit together like, you know, five fingers of a hand. Um, it's just you don't want to mess with that unless you have to. Um, yeah. And the reason you have to in college basketball is when guys graduate or when they leave. Um, but otherwise, especially if something worked, you want it to continue to work. You want it to work even better in the future. And the way you do that is by continuing to practice with those elements by adding a little bit to it, but you don't want to then be subtracting things before you have to, um, any, any situation. And I'm using Jules Bernard because it's the most obvious one that comes out, but any situation where you're losing Jules Bernard from next year's team by adding somebody who might play 10 minutes as your backup point guard. Uh, that's a big miss for me. Yeah. I think everyone else also, since we're talking recruiting, everyone wants to talk about whether getting Dylan Andrews is advantageous and helps you with Kajani Wright, the five-star post yeah. player who plays in the same high school team and the same AAU program, Compton Magic, with him. Um, 
I, I don't think it necessarily, it, they're not a package deal. I, I think both of them, there's a, obviously they're friends, they get along from what I've heard, but I, when you've played alongside someone for a very long time, you wouldn't mind getting out from away and having your own gig for a while. I mean, if you if you search for these two guys and look at photos, like half of the photos of them taken have their photos taken together <laughs> from from Winward and from the Compton Magic. Um, so I, they're not tied. They're they're not joined at the hip by by any means. Uh, would Kajani Wright look at UCLA now and say, well? I played with Dylan Andrews. I know he can get me the ball and I'm playing with Amari Bailey and I know he'll get me the ball. That's probably advantageous. Uh, I'm, I've watched Kajani Wright a lot lately on tape and um, I think he's got some good upside. I think he's a little overrated as like the number eight player in the country. I think Kajani Wright is a guy who will be in college for a while. Um, in a way it's almost he he's more he's almost a better prospect to me because he's not in my mind he's not a one and done um he also is one of those guys i think that that thinks of himself more as a wing right now but i think he's he's a pure post player in college so there's a lot of work there um i think there will also be an interesting element with kajani Wright if he wants to uh sign on to a program uh, like Mick Cronin's that's really going to challenge him and and it can be challenging clearly we know this so it'll be really interesting uh if could, I but I've said it before so many recruits if they know what Mick Cronin is they've watched those games they've watched Mick Cronin screaming at his players they've heard how tough Mick Cronin's program can be if they sign on, they they do it wide-eyed and they know what they're getting into. And if in my mind, the weeding out process, uh, the qualification is that if they sign on to that, that means that they are willing to take that on. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what what happens with him. From what I've heard, it's right now uh, everyone's afraid of USC because he has a connection to the Mobley family. And then he um, and think that that's where he might go. But he's a very, very good student. And I've heard Stanford is probably the biggest threat that UCLA and Stanford might add. This was as of a few weeks ago. Of course, things can change. He's a junior in high school. Um, but that it, UCLA and Stanford might be the two that are the more serious considerations for him. I knew ever I had to go through that recruiting thing because I knew everyone's going to want to hear about it. Yeah, and that's and this is the part where it's um, for me it's all about assessing fit. And you might determine that Kajani Wright's a fit, you know. And even if he maybe thinks. By the way, wait, as, just while you're saying that, really good kid from what I heard. Yeah, yeah. Really nice, and smart, this nice, is, great kid. This is the other thing about fit. Uh, we're not even. I mean, sure, that's a part of the old. Uh, when <laughs> I know when you and uh, Greg were talking about it uh, during the Howland years, a lot of times fit was code for uh, the kid, the people around him are either crazy or trying to take money. And that's not what I'm even saying here. Um, for Cronin's program, a lot of the fit stuff is going to be, um, are they going to fit the role that uh, yes. Cronin wants him to play? Um, yes. And that's the thing with Kajani Wright is, does he think of himself as a wing? And more power to him if he does, is that something that Cronin's going to want from that position, from that fit, from that role? Um, and that's the kind of stuff that goes into it. Um, and I think that's where you have to be judicious, uh, because, you know, recruiting at UCLA, I think you can get into, um, you know, recruiting an all-star team every year, like we've been talking about. And I, that's the part that I get leery of where, okay, you don't just want to take every single five-star who wants to come. Um, even though that's, (laughs) it's a hard thing to pass up. And and this is, I really want to emphasize this so that it kind of gets in people's frontal lobe if you're a college coach and you're recruiting five-star elite guys they have handlers they have their au guys they've got their handlers they've got their uncle they've got their stepfather who are all looking for deals just i want i want it i want you to commit that he's going to play 30 minutes and he's starting that he's going to get a certain amount of touches i want you uh to commit that 
he's going to be the guy, the, he's going to be the, uh, the poster boy for the program. You're going to put him on the, uh, you know, the magazines and everything. He's going to be out there. I mean, there are so many demands and there's so much, and just throw in, then there are demands for money too. Um, so many five-star guys and all their handlers are looking for money and they have their hand out. This is what a college coach has to navigate through. And it's not five stars, it's four-star guys too. I, I mean, if we're talking about like the Howland era, I'm not going to name a name, but there was a recruit that Howland wanted to recruit and his father wanted an appearance fee for him to come to play at Howland summer camp. An appearance fee. I don't yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff they're up against. You can go start recruiting a five-star guy and all of the questions that his uncle or stepfather is going to ask is, what are you doing for my kid? What are you, in a way that is not what you think is acceptable. I don't even know how else to say this in a, without saying it. But um, it's a tough thing to navigate. It's a really tough thing to navigate. So that going forward, if you're talking about fit, you were talking about the other fit to fit his style, but we can never neglect to talk about the other real fit issue. Um, you need all the fits. You got to have you it need fit. all the fits. Um, it's, it's a tough thing to navigate. I can tell you And all of you is when you're out there listening and you're reading and you see a five-star kid that's interested in UCLA and he's from Missouri and he's getting recruited by Duke and Kansas and Kentucky and and he lists UCLA and y'all get really excited. Just please keep this all in mind. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's uh it's a brave new world, but um uh, just end with this a little bit. Um this is far more the task at UCLA when things are going well. Um yes. what Cronin has done so far has been extremely extraordinarily impressive. Um, to do what he just did as a first four um, entrant into the uh, NCAA tournament and then make it to the final four. Tremendous coaching, tremendous ability to get these guys bought in, the whole thing. The next stage is navigating the world as elite UCLA. Uh, what we just saw today was elite UCLA, um, getting who you wanted on the transfer market, and then getting who you wanted in the 2022 class. Um, already he's showing signs of locking down California among the guys who are fits for his program. Um, Omari Bailey already, Dylan Andrews already. And if Kajani Wright passes that fit test, maybe Kajani Wright. Um, this is elite UCLA. But now you have to continue that. It's it's now just about, okay, how do you continue to um, to maintain your program? Because the thing is, Ben Howland had a few years of recruiting as elite UCLA. Um, elite UCLA was recruiting Drew Holiday, Malcolm Lee, Jeremy Anderson, Jameson Morgan, um, whoever else was in that class. Um, that was elite UCLA. 2009 was elite UCLA. And those two programs contributed to his downfall because I think, to an extent, lost a little bit of sight of fit. Um, and also, um, both, both fits that we brought up, both fits, uh, both types of fit, um, particularly with 2009, but even a little bit with 2008, uh, that's an essential part of the calculus going forward for Mick Cronin. Um, it'll certainly help him that guys appear to love to play for him much more than they did for Howland. That's going to go a long way because program continuity should be better. Guys are not going to be looking to jump ship at the first opportunity. But it's going to be about that reloading talent, plugging guys in, making sure they're part of the program and not trying to use the program for their own personal advancement. Um, it's going to be uh, critical. And uh, and see, why this, is, why this is so challenging and why it got the best of Ben Halland is, and I'm, I'm saying... Uh, you know I really respect McCronin, but the jury's out on this element of coaching because you can have a resume. Ben Hallen had a resume of being a very good coach. McCronin has a resume of being a, a good, a very good coach. No one has had experience of what it's like to go from a Pittsburgh or a Cincinnati to UCLA to where you 
have some success and you're able to start recruiting five stars and and to have the tools and experience to know how to navigate that. That's why that was Ben Hallen's downfall. I personally think Mick Cronin is better equipped to navigate through it, yeah. but it is a highly unique situation. I don't know if there are... I, I, Kentucky is not the same. Duke is not. Maybe North Carolina, like, if you're a new coach there, you might experience the same thing. I, I don't know. There, are, It's a unique situation, but especially if you're a coach that came from Pittsburgh or Cincinnati and now you're at UCLA, you've never done this. They both knew how to coach, but they've never done this. So are they going to learn? Are they going to know keep their humility, know who to get, who to take, and who to stay the hell away from, that's that's the challenge. And it will be very interesting yeah. to see. But I, I trust Mick Cronin. Remember there was after three years where I said, I Ben Hallen will have a big challenge still ahead of him to continue his success at UCLA. And this was one element of it. I'm far more confident in in Mick Cronin. Yeah, you've got to, I think for uh, Cronin, it's it's about, um, you, you've always got to think team for next year, but you've got to think program too. You've got to be constantly cognizant of, okay, what are the next two years? What are the next three years looking like with the guys I have? Um, and that's, I think because, um, I think a part of it also with Ben was, uh, you know, three straight final fours or actually after the first two, um, losing to Florida both times thinking about winning it just one year and just doing it. Um, I think that, you know, if I'm psychoanalyzing him from the, uh, from the sideline, I think that was probably um, playing a big role in it. Um, you know, trying to just kind of grab that brass ring. It's always got to be about the program. Um, obviously you want to have the best team you can have every year for sure. And that's going to be a priority, but you've got to be constantly thinking the health of the program. What's going to, what's going to sustain it. Um, I, I think what is also going to um, knowing their philosophy in recruiting, uh, even if they're recruiting five stars, uh, I don't think they are going to take a soft player. I think they need to find someone who is physically and mentally tough. That's that's what they need. I, I think they will look at recruits that aren't that who are five star guys and just say. Nah, I don't want that guy. <laughs> so you just I, I open think, you open the first recruiting phone call by just screaming curse words at him. Yeah, yeah. And just see what happens. Yeah, see how he can take it. Yeah, yeah. I think that works. <laughs> um, all very fun though, Dave. It's all so much fun. It's so much fun to um, already be back at the stage of, I mean, what are we? We're two full years in. Uh, two years, we are. We are. We're all talking about elite UCLA again because that's what's happening right now. His um, first NCAA tournament as UCLA coach, he took him to a Final Four. Right. If you had told us that, that Mick Cronin would do that when they were thinking about what coach they should hire. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and yeah, yeah. no, and, and thinking about what they would have done last year, considering the surge they were on to enter the NCAA tournament last year was arguably better than it was this year. And someone brought up in the forum, like, Hey, kudos, hats off to all the people who were on board with Mick when he was hired. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good let's stuff. just say, let's just say if there are bros out there who ran a, ran a ground with Lavin pretty quickly, let's say year three, Bought into Halland in the first five years and then started to see that erode, sadly, and recognized it. Never bought into Alford. But then when UCLA pivoted from, oh my God, John Calipari, Rick Barnes, and started to look like they were hiring Mick Cronin, I'll even, I'll even say, if you were still unsure, until that 
uh, introductory press conference. If the, at that moment, and that was your track record up till then, and then at that moment you said, no, Mick Cronin's the guy. I, I see that now in the way he handled that press. You are, you get a gold star. Yeah. Because you were on top of it and you had all the right instincts and read all of these situations correctly. If you were still um, pretty down on Mick Cronin in uh, like December of this year, um, you don't get a gold star. No, uh, no gold star. But everyone, pat themselves on the back. If that's been your your record for 20, are we talking, damn, 24 years? I don't even want to think about it. No, don't think about it. No, no, no. no I think no. it is 24 years. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Cindy Darn what, Darn what year was Steve Lavin hired? 1997. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. That seems like a long time ago, but it also doesn't seem that long ago. He was a and youthful the, man. Youthful and the man. pain, the pain is can come right back. Okay. This was good, Dave. This is really good. We're making people listen too long, though, I think. I don't think so. Okay. We can give you dead air now. And they, they'd you want to talk listen. about movies? Not really. Okay. I'm not going to see any. It's kind of sad that they're closing the theaters, though. They are quite. Yeah, it Pacific is. Theaters. Um, yeah. Uh, did you see Nobody? No, I didn't. Uh, it's coming out. It's it's streaming. You should you should see it. I think. You, it you, I think you'd like it. Bob Odenkirk. You like him? I love Bob Odenkirk. Oh yeah, you'll like this movie. Okay. All right. Good talking to you, Dave. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all. Be safe out there. <laughs>